four passages. And this week and next week, actually, we're going to read quite a few scriptures here. Uh, but we'll read scripture portions rather than longer passages overall. Uh, so today we're looking at John 17, 2 Corinthians 11, Ephesians 5, and Revelation 19. Excuse me. I want to thank everybody who's praying for us. Uh, we were in Hungary uh, yesterday. It's, it's really surrealistic. We flew on Friday and came back Saturday. Uh, but it's amazing what God has been doing in very concentrated periods of time. Uh, so Friday night, we were at this church in Sekes uh, Uh And it's taken me four years to get close to pronouncing that correctly. Uh, and uh, I taught for three hours on the end times, uh, just a bit of an introduction. They want me back to keep teaching on this. Uh, but then Saturday, I met with the pastor, uh, the pastor's uh, pastor and his wife, uh, and we talked a lot about strategy and structure and things like that. And it really seems like just about everywhere God is sending me these days, it's really about laying foundations and establishing good structure uh, so that there can be growth and health and ministry. Uh, so thanks for the prayers uh, that you've been praying for us. It's turned into a very crazy time with a lot of traveling, um, and we don't normally like to do that so much, uh, but uh, some very important opportunities here the last few weeks. Uh, and they all recognize, by the way, Kati and uh, uh, Polly. Uh, that's, uh, Kati is the wife, Polly is the husband. Uh, they send you their greetings, and they say thank you to City Temple uh, for loaning us out uh, for, the, for the day. Uh, so now to John. We start in John 17, verse 20. Jesus is praying here, and he says, I do not ask for these only, that means the 12, his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. And when you think about that passage, it's pretty amazing what Jesus is praying here. Pretty amazing. Then we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul is talking to the Corinthian church, it was a really messed up church, uh, and they had uh, a lot of false apostles coming in and out, trying to lead them astray, and so Paul's addressing them here, and he says this, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. 
And then to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Now notice here, I'm skipping the part that every woman loves, verse 22, and getting down to verse 25. Actually, just as a side note on that, uh, do you know which one supersedes the other? 25 supersedes 22. In other words, the primary responsibility in a marriage relationship is for the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Uh, But that's that's another sermon. Uh, But we'll pick up on that. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And then the last is Revelation chapter 19. We start with verse 6. John is writing here and he says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, everybody here knows me, and uh, many of you have known me for a lot of years, and and so you know my faults, uh, and hopefully you know my strengths as well. Uh, But uh, one thing that I can gladly say is that very few people here have have ever seen me angry, because I don't like to get angry. Uh, It's not very pleasant to me, so I try not to get angry. Uh, It's not a good thing. And you also know Karen. You know, you've known Karen, again, uh, many of you know her better than others, but but you know Karen quite well. And Karen and I have been married now, it's almost uh, 33 years, 33 years in June, so just another month or so, and we'll be celebrating that anniversary. And I can tell you that I probably know Karen better than anybody here. In fact, at this stage, I probably know Karen better than her own mother and her biological family knows Karen because Karen has been with me longer than she's been with them. Hallelujah. So that's a good thing. And I know Karen's strengths. Uh, I know her beauty. Uh, I know the amazing things about her. And I also know her weaknesses. I know her faults. 
Uh, I know the things that sometimes might bother me a little bit. Uh, I know uh, some of the sin issues that she struggles with. You know, I know these kinds of things because we've been married. You can't be married for any length of time without having this kind of, kind of knowledge here. So I know all these things. Now, let's put those two issues together. Say somebody came up to me and they started telling me about Karen's faults. All the things that are not quite right, uh, maybe things, you know, maybe comments about her physical appearance or comments about her behavior or comments about her emotions. And imagine that the person, because it wouldn't ever be any of you, but imagine that the person who comes to me with this, everything they say is 100% accurate. You know, so they, they pin it down every little bit. They get it right. They get it right. I can guarantee you one thing if that happens. If they come and, you know, you start picking at it and, and, and even though that person says 100% things, things right, I guarantee you that that person will also see me angry. Because there are times when I do get angry. And the times when I do get angry are times when I feel like people that are around me are being attacked. And I get supremely angry if somebody attacks my wife. Even if the attack is completely legitimate. Even if what they're doing or saying seems 100% right, I guarantee you, that it will make me angry. And people will see that side of me, and there have been a few times where that has happened over the course of our marriage. And that's rather normal. Actually, I think every husband should feel that way about his wife. Every husband should have a passion to protect his bride. I mean, that is a normal thing for human beings to do. I think God has wired it in us somehow to have that passion to protect our bride. And if we feel that way, if that is normal for us, if somebody is attacking our bride, for us to stand forward and defend our bride, how much more do you think Jesus reacts? How much more deeply do you think Jesus reacts when people attack his bride. I believe that when people criticize the bride of Christ, that Jesus responds every bit with anger, justice, uh, justified, righteous anger. I believe that Jesus responds with anger and feels anger the same kind of anger when people attack his bride as we men might feel when people attack our bride. And yet one of the big problems that is occurring in the world today is that people feel like, everybody feels like they have a license to attack the bride of Christ. Now what is the bride of Christ? In case you don't know, the bride of Christ is the church. The bride of Christ is the church. 
All of us together, all Christians together, are the bride of Christ. You notice what Jesus prayed there in John 17. He says he wanted us to be one just as we are one with him and just as he is one with the Father. We've been talking these last couple of months about union with Christ. And we've said when we come into, uh, when we come, when we're saved, we come into union with Christ by grace through faith where Christ comes and lives inside of us and we live inside of Christ. Christ is in us. We are in Christ. We don't understand exactly how it works, but we do know that it's an amazing thing. It's a mystery, but it's real. It's real. And what the scripture is saying here is that not only when we are saved do we come into union with Christ Jesus, but when we're saved, we become united with other Christians. And we become united with other Christians in a way that is deep, that is real, that is intimate, that shapes our lives, and that is essential to our salvation. You see, salvation is inherently participatory and relational. There's never a time when you say, hey, I was saved because of what Jesus did, now I go on and live my own life. We don't do that. Salvation in the scriptures is always a corporate as well as an individual experience. By the way, in the same way, you can't say, well, I'm a member of a church, so I'm saved. So when we individually are saved, when we're individually justified, when we're individually sanctified, when we're, we're individually adopted, that is also a corporate reality. So we are saved along with other Christians. We are justified together. We are sanctified together. We are adopted together. We are preserved together. We are glorified together. We become the bride of Christ together. And you cannot be saved without being part of the bride of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that you have to go to a church and be a member of a church to be a Christian. But I am saying that if you're not connected with other believers in a meaningful way, you should really question whether or not you're saved. Because salvation, biblically, is always a corporate experience as well as an individual experience. And so the church is part of this mystery of salvation where we're in union with Christ and we're in union with one another. And as we manifest that union, you see, the union is real. We don't always see it. We certainly don't understand it, but it is a very real union. And as we manifest that union, according to Jesus in John 17, what happens is the world starts believing that Jesus really is who he said he was. And that's the issue. And that's his desire. And when we look at that union that we have with Christ corporately, there are two primary metaphors. There's, there's several metaphors, but there are two that we want to look at. The first this week and the second next week. The one this week is that the church is the bride of Christ. The one next week is that the church is the body of Christ. And these metaphors are absolutely important to understanding who we are together in union with Christ Jesus. These are metaphors. They are not similes. 
And sometimes we don't know the difference. Many people think of the church like a bride, or the church is like a body. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not using this to compare a body in the church. He's not using this to compare a bride in the church. What Paul is saying is that the church metaphorically is the body of Christ in a very real kind of way. So the metaphor isn't just a story. It's not something disconnected from reality. A true metaphor is grounded in the reality. A true metaphor describes the reality in a way that we can understand it. And so the body and the bride of Christ is a metaphorical language to describe the reality of the union that we have with Christ and with one another. But right now, what's happening in many places around the world, and what is quite fashionable, it's quite fashionable here in London. I mean, in the years I've been here in London, I have seen many different movements that have arisen because people didn't like the church. They didn't like organized churches. They didn't like what the church had done to them or how the church was behaving or how people were behaving. They didn't like the stuff that they were seeing. And so they said, oh, okay, well, we're going to do this ministry. It might be a prayer ministry. Uh, it might be an intensive worship ministry. Uh, it might be some kind of fellowship. And we're going to do this because we don't want to be part of that. We don't want to be part of the church. And they would use that as an opportunity to attack the church and cut down the church and seek to destroy the church. And guess how Jesus feels about that? And let me tell you, none of those ministries ever survive very long. None of those groups ever survive very long. And many times I've seen people engage in attacking the bride of Christ, criticizing the bride of Christ, who later go on even to lose their salvation, to walk away from the Lord. They were never saved in the first place. Now, why would we struggle so much? You know, the struggle is legitimate. And so in saying this, I don't want to say that the church doesn't have things to be critical about. But, so why are we struggling with this so much? Well, we stumble over the perceptible church, the visible church, the church that we see. And it's the church that we see, not the church that Jesus sees. We stumble over the impure church. We often forget that Jesus told us that there were going to be weeds that are sown amongst the wheat. And in any given church anywhere, you have people who are genuinely following Jesus, and you have people who are effectively weeds. They're not following Jesus. They don't, they don't have union with Christ Jesus. They're not bearing any kind of fruit. And we stumble because we see that. We also stumble over the imperfect church. Even when, if everybody is following Jesus... If everybody you see really had a passion for Jesus, if there were no wheat, uh, no weeds in amongst the wheat, we still would have faults as church. We individually have faults and we corporately have faults. And we stumble over that because we focus on our faults 
instead of on the glory of Jesus Christ to be revealed in us. So we need to understand if we are to walk in union with Christ and experience the fullness of that union and also to see the kingdom come in power, we need to understand what it means that we are the bride of Christ and that we are the body of Christ. And so today we're going to look at the bride of Christ reality. We are the bride of Christ. What does this mean? It means in part that we have a bridegroom king who has given himself up for us so that he might sanctify us. So what Jesus did when he died on the cross, he gave himself up for us, not only you individually, and this is important to understand. Now sometimes it's been very popular in recent years to say, if you were the only person on earth, Jesus would have died for you. Now I don't know if that's true or not. It might have been true, it might not be true, but actually we can't prove it because it's not in the scriptures. The reality of the scriptures is that Jesus died not just for you individually, but for you corporately. And you cannot separate the you individual from the you corporate. Jesus died for us together so that together he might sanctify us, cleanse us, and consecrate us to himself. And so what Jesus has done in dying for us together and uniting with himself with us together, he has put us together to clean us up and to say together we are set apart for him. And this means too that we are the bride of Christ means that we belong to Jesus together. You are not your own, Paul says. You were bought with a price, and the you in those verses are you corporately. Jesus has purchased us. We belong to Jesus. As I said, I've been married almost 33 years, and I'm glad to say that I only have one wife, and she only has one husband, and she's my wife. There's very few things in life that I can say it's mine. You know, I might say about my car, for example, it's my car. But you know, the truth is that one day the car will either break down or be, will be sold or given away and it will go into the junk heap. And it's not my car. Or what about my house? You know, I'm living in my house. Well, you know, the truth is the church owns the house. It's not my house. How about my money? Well, it's not really my money. The bank can take it. Government can take it, it does, in taxes. There's one thing I can say, though, that is mine, and that Karen is my wife. She belongs to me as my wife, and I belong to her, and I'm really happy about that. And I think most days she's happy about that, too. It's a good thing. She's smiling at me. I can see that through my glasses, so that's a good, that's a good thing. And because we belong to Christ together as the bride of Christ, the scripture says right here in Ephesians that we are one flesh with Jesus. Paul says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall be one, become one flesh. The mystery is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. And we'll explore this more next week when we talk about being the body of Christ. But the reality is that together we are like one flesh with Jesus. 
In the same way that Karen and I are one in marriage, we and Jesus are one. We don't understand how that works. It's beyond our comprehension and perception, but one day we will see it because since we are the bride of Christ, we have our future in Christ together. If you don't like the person who's sitting next to you and they're a Christian, you better start getting used to them because you'll spend eternity with them. And I think, you know, you you might think, okay, well, I'm going to have my own mansion or my own room in in eternity. I, I sometimes wonder if God won't give you a roommate, you know, and the roommate will be that person that's been driving you crazy. I don't know. I, I don't think that's probably the case, but who knows? I don't know. But I do know that together our future is bound up into Jesus. Now, Paul talked about this in, in 2 Corinthians. He says, I betrothed you to one Lord as a, a pure virgin. I betrothed you to Christ as a pure virgin. Betrothed in the ancient day was being married. So when you were betrothed, officially you were married. That's why when, when Mary, the mother of Jesus, got pregnant after she and Joseph had been betrothed, there was a problem. Because once you're betrothed, even though the ceremony hasn't happened and the consummation of the marriage has not occurred, you are considered legally married. And so that's why Joseph was going to divorce Mary and why he would have to divorce Mary. Mary. It's not just calling off an engagement, it's actually a divorce. And we have been betrothed with Christ. This means that right now we are the body of Christ, but that marriage has not been consummated. That will happen at the marriage feast of the Lamb that we read about in Revelation chapter 19. And we haven't had the marriage ceremony, but one day it's going to happen. But that does not change our reality as the bride of Christ. And because we are the bride of Christ, Jesus responds to us in certain ways. Because we are the bride of Christ, Jesus provides for us. But he provides for us together. He provides for us together. He doesn't just provide for you as an individual, he provides for us together. Spiritual gifts, which we'll talk a little bit about next week. He gives you a spiritual gift, not for yourself, but to give to other people because he's providing something for you to share with others. That's why we have offerings, by the way. God is providing us, Jesus provides for us personally resources, not only so we can live ourselves, but so that we can help other people, so that we can bless other Christians. So that the ones who have much don't have too much, and the ones that have little don't have too little. Now, he's not saying that we should all be communists, by the way. But he is saying he provides for us resources. If we get this building redeveloped using Mayflower, if Mayflower does it, the money that will come to redevelop this building will be provided by the body of Christ in the United States, largely. This is how God works. So Jesus provides for us together. Jesus also protects us together. We are fighting great wars here. Wars against the world, the flesh, and the devil in in our lives as Christians. 
And Jesus will protect us, but He only protects us when we're together. Jesus also will produce and reproduce through us together. And we're called to make disciples of all nations. You cannot make disciples on your own. You have to have the body, the bride of Christ together to make disciples. Jesus said that we're, he's the vine and we're the branches and we need to bear much fruit, but we bear fruit together. We don't bear fruit alone and Jesus will produce in us and reproduce in us godly things, but he does that together. If you want to have children, up until recent years when we had these scientific advances, you had to have a man and a woman to have a baby. And men could not produce children by themselves. They still can't produce children by themselves. It's basic biology. And if men cannot produce children by themselves, guess what? Jesus has chosen to produce his children through the church. Through the church. It's extraordinary. It happens for us together. And Jesus will present us to himself in splendor without spot or blemish, but he will do it together. Together. Every benefit of Christ comes to us together, not separately. Everything we've talked about that we have in union with Christ comes to the bride of Christ together, not just to us individually. And if you are not in the bride of Christ, if you're not part of the bride of Christ, you're not part of Jesus. So by definition, when you become a Christian, you become part of that, and Jesus brings all of his benefits to us together. And because we are the bride of Christ, we have responsibilities as the bride. Let me mention just a few. First responsibility that we have individually and corporately is to stay together loving as Christ loved us. We need to stay together. Too many Christians, or people who call themselves Christians, wander away from the bride. And it's no wonder. I understand this. I have been wounded by Christians more deeply than non-Christians could ever wound me. I have been hurt by Christians for longer than non-Christians would ever do. I have been treated cruelly by people who call themselves Christians in ways that have shocked non-Christians. I understand this, but it doesn't change the reality that we have to stay together and love one another. And that's what I can do, and that's what you can do. Second responsibility that we have, we must show allegiance to Jesus as our bridegroom king together. Jesus is our one Lord. Jesus is our one king. Jesus is our one bridegroom. Jesus is our one God. Jesus alone do we worship and glorify and adore. Jesus and Jesus alone. Our allegiance has to be to Him. And by allegiance... I mean that we can't be looking around at other gods. Now, I have an allegiance to my wife, and that allegiance to my wife means that I don't constantly meet women and say, oh, I wonder what she'd like to be married to. That would undermine my allegiance. 
And we have to have an allegiance to Jesus alone as our Savior, as our Lord, as our King, and as our God. And third, we have the responsibility to seek intimacy with Jesus together, having a sincere and pure devotion to Him. It's one of the reasons why we have the house of prayer. It's a place where Christians come together, and if you've been trained in the house of prayer, you know that we don't want anybody just to do their own watch in the house of prayer. Why? Because we're called to this together. It's not about your personal intimacy with Jesus. And many times when we're praying, we make it about our personal intimacy with Jesus. And by the way, that's important. But we are called to intimacy together as the bride of Christ. That's not just you individually, that's us together. This also means our next responsibility, number four, is we need to submit to Jesus together. As our bridegroom king, Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our leader, and together we are in submission to him. And even when we submit to one another, we submit to one another, according to Paul in 521 of that passage we read, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you know when you cooperate with me as a pastor, I hope you never do it because I'm a pastor, or I have a title, or I'm a holy man. I want you to do it because you love Jesus. That's the reason. And if that's the reason, by the way, it's easier to follow me when you don't love me. Now, if I love Jesus, that means that sometimes I will follow people that I don't really care about very much or I don't really like very much. But our responsibility is to submit to Jesus together, obeying him, doing what he calls us to, walking in his ways. And the final thing that I'd suggest here is that we must strive to make ourselves ready, clothing ourselves with righteous deeds together. That's the pronouncement in Revelation 19. For the bride has made herself ready, for it was granted her to be clothed in fine linen, and the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. We need to get ready. One day Jesus is coming again for a pure and spotless bride, and I am part of that bride, and I want to be part of that pure and spotless dynamic in the bride. And that means every single one of us as well, so that the bride will be clothed in this fine linen, every single one of us need to be doing righteous deeds. That's your responsibility. Find something righteous to do and do it. Do it at work. Do it on the streets. Do it in the church. Every Christian should be doing good. Every Christian should pr be promoting righteousness in the world. Every Christian should be working for justice in the ways that God brings to us. Every Christian, as we together submit to Jesus, follow Jesus, together we make ourselves ready as we do a diversity of righteous deeds in the world around us. And in so doing, we also present our unity. And as we so doing, we also present our Lord. So we are the body of Christ. And Jesus, we are the bride of Christ, excuse me. We are the bride of Christ. And we belong to Jesus. And Jesus will bring all of his blessings into us together. 
as we fulfill our responsibilities under his leadership and by the grace that he gives us, because it's all by his grace. It's not a works righteousness, it never is. It's his grace and his Holy Spirit that enables us to do all these things. But we must remember when we're thinking about brides, a bride may always seem ugly or incomplete until her wedding day. I've had the privilege of seeing many brides-to-be a day or two before they're married. And let me tell you, there have been a few times when I said, wow, you've got such a long way to go before that wedding day. They just didn't seem to be ready at all. And you think, what in the world is going on? And those, before that wedding ceremony, before that consummation, any bride might seem ugly or incomplete until that wedding day comes. Without doing her hair, nails, and makeup, she might not even look like a bride. Maybe a couple of days earlier, she's out working in the garden with her hair up in a, in, in, in a bun or something. Without her wedding dress on, you wouldn't recognize a bride who's going to get married tomorrow if she walked down the street if she didn't have her wedding clothes on. You wouldn't even know she was a bride. Until that bride sees her groom, she might look stressed. She might even look unhappy. She might be filled with nerves. She might not really know what's going on. And you look at her and you think, how in the world are you possibly going to get, be getting married here soon? But here's the point. None of these things change her reality as a bride. None of these things will change that reality. Even if she doesn't look like a bride, even if she's not dressed like a bride, even if she's not dolled up like a bride, no matter what, it doesn't change the fact that the day is coming when she's going to get married and she's going to walk down that aisle with her bridegroom king. And the church of Jesus Christ, she might not look like a bride. She might not act like a bride. She might be not cleaned up like a bride. You might not even recognize her as a bride. But I guarantee you she's betrothed to Jesus Christ. And the day will come when Jesus comes and collects her bride and we will be united with one another and united with Jesus Christ for all eternity. And we need to be ready for that day. Because as the bride of Christ in that day, we will experience the completion of our social humanity in union with Jesus Christ. This is our reality as we are united with Jesus Christ. So instead of criticizing the bride or looking down on the bride, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, let us work together so that the bride makes herself ready. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that we are the bride of Christ together. Thank you that this is our reality. Thank you that we are the fulfillment of these promises. I pray, Father, that you would help us to understand what this means and help us to know how we should live in light of this reality. And Father, I pray especially
that you would help us overcome our need to criticize the bride of Christ. And Jesus, we ask your forgiveness when we have criticized the bride, when we have thought we could abandon the bride, when we have disregarded the bride, when we have not understood the bride. Forgive us and help us see the glory that will be revealed in your bride, the bride of Christ, all of us who are Christians at that great marriage supper of the Lamb. We honor you and praise you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.